we are going to read the Lord's Word once again. Um, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. It says this, Jesus and his disciples and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples in a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, um, Timus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, show mercy on me. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, son of David, show mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They called the blind man, be encouraged, get up. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Verse 21, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi in some translations, or teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, Go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And the people of God said, thanks be to God. You may be seated here this morning. Well, you've heard me say it again and again that there are many stories in, in the book of Mark, but there is only one message, and that is that the kingdom of God is at hand. If you have your worship folder there, I would encourage you to Open it up, and on the back side there, there's a simplified outline, sermon notes. And you'll find there that uh, the, the, the first fill-in-blank is a final healing miracle. As we look in the text, as we continue following through the book of Mark, all of the narratives, as we're journeying with Jesus, if you will, on his way to the cross, this is the last healing narrative in the gospel of Mark. It is considered the, the bookend miracle, if you will, of the, of the gospel of Mark. The bookend, which begins with the, with the blind men in Bethsaida. And if you like to, you could flip back a couple of pages to, to Mark chapter 8, beginning verse, with verse 22 through 26. And we see where Jesus healed that blind man. And it ends here as a bookmark with the healing of Bartimaeus. In, in chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. As you may recall, the healing of the man in Bethsaida was somewhat unusual. It was unusual in that it, that it required Jesus to touch the man two times so that he could see clearly. This incident introduced to us the, the first of three proclamations of Jesus about the suffering that he would endure as the Messiah. That proclamation, that, that Jesus' messianic vocation is the balanced tension between his costly suffering of the cross and his future glory. We were able to, to note at the time that the disciples could, could see that, that Jesus was expected as the Redeemer of Israel... But, with, but they couldn't see that the kingdom, the kingdom will have to come through suffering and self-giving love 
of Christ, not of power and not one of political conquest. And we really unpacked that about two weeks ago. But despite their temporary failures, we see in the first healing that Jesus would become an anchor for their discipleship. Thus, a couple of weeks ago, our, the title of our message was The Cost of Discipleship. The healing of Bartimaeus closes off the section as Jesus is now moving towards Jerusalem and towards his ultimate destiny. He knows what's coming. He's been telling the disciples this for a, a, a number of, of uh, for a period of time, if you will, and they're still not quite getting it. They have called him Messiah. We see where, where Jesus on the road Ask the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you, you are the Messiah. And we look and we see in, in Scripture, we see where Messiah is. You go back through and you do word studies and even going back through the, to the very beginning to that of the garden in, in Genesis chapter 3.15. And I will put enmity, that is God speaking, between you, the, the serpent, and the woman, and between you and your offspring. And here, here he, the Christ, the, the Messiah, he will crush your head and he will strike his heel. A descriptor of Christ, the, the Messiah's victory over Satan. John Wesley himself also speaks of this enmity as representing the continual struggle between the wicked and the good. And so when we hear that there's this expression of Messiah, we need to understand that it goes back to, to the very beginning, even in the garden, when there was this tension between good and evil. And so when we now see in the New Testament and we see that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, we see that he's referred to Messiah, but there's still this tension between man's desires, man's acquisitions, man's agenda, and the evil that is always always continually there, the relentless enemy that's always trying to steal, to fragment, and to destroy. We saw that clear back in the garden. We also look and see in Deuteronomy where, where he would be a prophet, where Jesus, has a, 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 with the prophecy, he would be like, like that of Moses, to whom God would say, you need to listen to him. You need to listen to the coming Messiah. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. So we see this prophetic ex expression all the way back through the Old Testament preceding Jesus as, as he's come now and as he is the Messiah. And he's saying, I will be the one that will suffer for you. I am Christ, I have come as the one that my Father has commissioned to die so that you may live. So in other words, let me just pause for just a second. It's not just a title. It is something that Jesus is living out from the beginning of time. From the time that evil has entered the picture. We also see an expression of Messiah in the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it tells us, it prophesies that, 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 that he will be born, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. In other words, God is with us. Emmanuel, a Hebrew name which appears in the book of Isaiah as a sign that God will protect the house of David. You might want to make a note on that because in our text this morning, what is the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, what is his expression alongside the road as Jesus is coming? Lord, son of David. You're starting to see a little bit of some connection here. Look at verse 47 and 48 of chapter 10, our text here this morning. Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was here, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show mercy, have mercy on me. And in verse 48, it says that many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder and all the more, son of David, show me mercy. Son of David, the tension regarding the journey to, to Jerusalem has, has been building up in previous chapters here in Mark. It has become clear that, that Jerusalem is the location where conflict will take place and it will also be the place where it will all be resolved. The coming tension in power is not just religious, but it's also political. So Jesus is kind of in this political firestorm, if you will. There are some that, that are looking to him as the anointed one, the Christ, the, the, the one who has come. But, but they're also reflecting and looking through the lens of the things that they know or the things that they would like to see happen. And Jesus is in the midst of all of this. But can I tell you, church, I won't charge you for it because it's not in my notes. But he never was deterred. He never will be. He was all about the Father's business. And I think that there's life application for us here this morning to do the same. Be all about the Father's business because there will be many things in this world that will try to distract us from that. There's this tension in power, not just religious, but also political Bartimaeus is the first to realize all of these things that are going down. Whether because he could not see that he just became a very good listener, but, but all of his other senses were, were very attentive to what was going on on that road on that particular afternoon. Because he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's aware that there are this, this messianic expectations of, of Israel all wrapped up in, the, in this title. He understands, he knows a little bit of the history and some of that I just shared with you a few moments ago. Someone said, as Israel looked back over its history, it was the first son of David, Solomon, that began to, to lead the people astray. What the nation needed and longed for was a new son of David who would not only reestablish the nation in power, but also reconnect Israel to its divine purpose in the world. Church, I just want to say this this morning, but a blind man got it on the roadside that afternoon. 
in calling out Jesus, son of David, this blind man and his infirmities, this marginalized man had great insight to the fact that the kingdom of God is now. And he cried out for that. Those closest to Jesus, the disciples, they have not yet fully made this connection. But Bartimaeus can see what the crowd on the road could not see that afternoon. We shared this past week and that, and to, to, to take note that, that, that the rule of or, or to lead a nation, we looked at that as it was all about political power. It was about political takeover. It was about pushing others down so that, so that you could climb up. And I just want you to know it's 2019 and we still see that happening. Push people down so that we can climb up. Use people so that, that we can better ourselves. The focus tends to be about self and not about kingdom purposes, given the fact that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, the interpretation by those on the road were that we're about ready to take over Rome. We're about ready to push them down. We've got a man who has the faculties, the capabilities about him to to just upside down, take down Rome. It is likely that the disciples and the crowds rebuked Bartimaeus for calling Jesus the son of David because they were concerned about the financial, excuse me, the political danger and the potential for violence with his public outcry. In other words, be quiet. We have a plan. Be quiet. We're with the man, if you will. And now you're crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You're going to draw attention to those in political power. You're going to draw a lot of attention for people to come out on this road. This isn't the way it's going to be. He's on his way into Jerusalem, and he'll make a lot of things happen there. It's not supposed to happen on the roadside. It is likely that when they rebuked him, they were thinking more about themselves, and I think it kind of reveals a little bit about themselves that particular day. Look at verse 49, if you will. It says, Jesus stopped and he said, call him forward. If you're taking notes this morning, understand this, but, but, but Christ stood still. He stopped what he was doing and he commanded the blind man, Bartimaeus, to come forward. In church, I would encourage you, don't miss this, but Jesus wasn't in a hurry. Jesus was about taking time. Jesus didn't see this requisition as a hindrance that was going to change his schedule. He he also wasn't concerned about the, the, the imposing political danger. He was more concerned about healing. He was more concerned about kingdom purposes. He was more concerned about what he was called by vocation to do for his heavenly father. Where have we seen something like this before where there's been a requisition of healing and Jesus stops what he's doing? A few months back, we looked at Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 27 through through 34. And, And it says this in the text, because she had heard about Jesus, this woman came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. But verse 30 of that text, Mark chapter 5, at that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. 
he turned around in the crowd and he said, who has touched my clothes? He stopped. He stood still. And in 31 of that particular chapter, his disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd that is pressing in around you? Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. You are healed from your disease. Church, this is an excellent illustration of the paradigm of discipleship. It was a a watershed moment on the road to Jerusalem that day. The disciples, they they thought that they had, even though they had plenty of misunderstandings, they thought that they got Jesus. But now there's a new chapter. There's a clearer understanding. On the road that day, their eyes have been opened to the full implications of Jesus' messiahship. Another note in there in your worship folder this morning, it simply says this, leaving his cloak There are two contrasts between the response of Bartimaeus and the text that precede this narrative. The first contrast between Bartimaeus is the rich young ruler. Bartimaeus, like the rich young ruler, both encountered Jesus as he's making his way towards Jerusalem. We see the encounter of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, just a few passages um, preceding our text here this morning, in verse 17, as Jesus continued down the road towards Jerusalem, a man ran up, he knelt before him, and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments, don't, do not commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. And in verse 20, teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully, and he loved him, and he said, but you are lacking one thing. And we unpack that. And Jesus says, go, sell what you own, and give your money to the poor. Then you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement, and he went away saddened. Because he had many possessions. Understand this, the rich young ruler could not leave his possessions for the sake of the kingdom. He wanted to keep those things to himself. But look at Mark chapter 10, verse 50 in our text this morning. Verse 30, excuse me, verse 50. Throwing his cloak, throwing his coat to the side. When summoned by Jesus, he jumped up and he came to the anointed one. He came to Christ. He came to the Messiah. This is worth noting this morning, but Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak. As someone said, his sole element of livelihood. He would have a cloak that would be stretched out on the ground and he would have a little cup so that he could collect the alms for, from passers-by. Passers a few coins. Can you spare some change? Can you, can you spare some alms? And he had done this for years on end, this was a way of his livelihood. But beggars would spread out their cloaks in that day as a way of asking for spare change. But church, when Jesus summoned Bartimaeus, because of his requisition, because he cried out, 
the text tell us that Bartimaeus got up. He left everything that he owned, vulnerable to anybody else coming by, vulnerable to anybody standing there in the crowd. He left all of that vulnerable and he came and he stood before Jesus. Quite a contrast. Rich young ruler, what must I do? Sell everything that you have and come follow me. Oh, I wish I could, but I can't. Bartimaeus, come, come, come to me. I will leave everything for the sake of standing in audience of my creator, of standing in audience of, of the son of David. As Dr. Scott Daniel says, the rich, the rich man at the top of the social scale re rejected a direct call, a requisition from Jesus but the beggar at the bottom does not even wait for a call. He immediately springs up and he follows Jesus on the way. The poor man joins enthusiastically in the upside down kingdom. The rich man walks away from the kingdom sad, downcast. And we looked at the, we unpacked the, the, the verbiage there and he, he went away very depressed. The first has become the last to enter the kingdom while the last has become the first. Do you remember that text from, from, from last week? Look at Mark 10, verses 43 through 45. But that's not the way that it should be and it needs to be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate people. Look at verse 51. Jesus asked Bartimaeus as they were standing there along the roadside that day with the disciples and the crowd. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? This is a sharp contrast between Bartimaeus and the disciples in our, in our previous study in Mark 10 verses 35 through 36. Do you remember that text where James and John, they, they come, Zebedee's sons, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus asks this question, what is it that you want me to do for you? And the disciples, they, 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 they took and, and they shared, their, their, they basically said, we want to be on your left and we want to be on your right. With the disciples, Jesus received a request of prestige and power and glory and, and fame, and they expect Jesus to, to make it happen. The encounter with the blind beggar, however, Bartimaeus, he, he leads to the exact same question. Jesus says, what is it that you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar, Bartimaeus' response is simply, I want to see. I want to see, Lord. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy so that I can see. Verse 51, teachers, some trans, and, and in some translations, the word is rabbi. I want to see. Rabbi, or in the original language, rabboni, is an emphatic personal form, meaning my Lord, my master, I recognize who you are, all of your power and your authority. We see this same response with Mary Magdalene as she goes to the tomb and she finds it empty. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And she responds, Rabboni, when she sees Jesus, Rabboni, Rabbi, my Lord, my Master. 
The disciples asked for prestige and the beggar asked for sight. The first, rep, the, the, the first requisition Jesus cannot grant. In Mark 10, 40, to sit at my right or to sit at my left hand, it isn't mine to give. But the second requisition he can gladly make happen. Look at verse 52. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. And lastly, in your outline this morning, your faith has saved you. Someone said, the gracious invitation Christ gives to, to come to him are great encouragements to our hope that we shall speed well if we come to him and shall have what we come for. Let the guilty, the empty, the, the tempted, the hungry, the naked be of good comfort for he calls them to be pardoned, to be supplied, to be secured, to, to be filled, to, to be clothed, to have all that done for them which, is, it, 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 which their case calls for, whatever the need might be. When Jesus says to Bartimaeus that your faith has saved you, that it has saved him, it certainly refers to physical healing. We see that. But for the early Christians, this, this miracle would also afford those that were there a, a deeper meaning. N.T. Wright says, God's rescue of people from what we think of as physical ailments on the one hand and spiritual peril on the other were thought of as different aspects of the same event. But again, not for this first time, we see the key to salvation of whatever kind is faith. He adds, faith is open to all. And often it's, unex it's the unexpected people who seem to have it most strongly. And faith consists not least in recognizing who Jesus is and trusting that he has the power to rescue them. What is it that you want me to do for you? I want to see. As I said, and as I was studying and unpacking this text this week, have you ever just asked the Lord when you're, just, when you're just quietly in solace and serenity, you're just quiet before the Lord and maybe there's things that are just coming at you and you just sense that the Lord affords you that question. What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to act? I want to see. I want to see. Or Lord, I, 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 want, I want you to help me out financially. Or, or Lord, I want, you to, I want you to be there with me. I want to know that you're there with me. Because of the, the news that I received from my physician or, or the test that, that, that came back. Church, I want you to know that we have a God that listens. We have a God that passionately listens. We have a God who stops still and listens to what you have to requisition. He listens to what is on your heart. He listens to your need. I truly believe that. And why do I believe that? Because I've seen it in Scripture. Every illustration that I've shared with you this morning has come right out of Scripture where Jesus stops. Who is it that touched me? Jesus stops still. Bring him to me. We have one who has created us. We have one who loves us. We have one who promises to be with us from beginning to end. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. What is it that you want for me? from me? I want to see Faith is divine evidence 
whereby the spiritual man discerneth God and the things of God, of God John Wesley says. N.T. Wright says, Bartimaeus is the, the model to imitate. Unlike the disciples who hadn't really understood what Jesus was about, he is already a man of faith. That he's a man of courage. And he is a man of true discipleship. Wow. Of discipleship. Here is a man who boldly requisitioned God. A man who has not walked with. A man who has not been with. A man who had, didn't have the faculties about him to see literally some of the miracles that Jesus has been able to do with the feeding of the 5,000 and the healing of others. He's not been able to, but he simply listened. He simply engaged. He knew the traditions. He had heard the stories. He was able to share what the prophets had already declared before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. It was all about faith. Faith is not fear. And there may be some here this morning that the Lord is laying something on your heart. Maybe He's calling you to, 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 to volunteer for something. And, and maybe for somebody else that, that he's, just, he's just laying on your heart to be praying for somebody. Maybe He's laying on your heart that you need to pick up the phone and you need to reconcile with, with somebody. Faith is not fear. Faith is not fear. Faith is engaging. Faith is believing when we cannot physically see. Are you with me this morning? Faith is internalizing what God promises in His Word. Faith is taking the expression of people's testimonies and their hearts and their lives and seeing where brokenness has been restored. God is the one of, God is the one of restoration and reconciliation. But we need to believe that. We need to embrace that. The enemy would come and want us to tremble. The enemy would want us to come and say, you know what? You're better than this. You're better than this. This sounds crazy that you would believe in something that you could not see. This morning as we unpack this text, we need to see that Bartimaeus was one who recognizes who Jesus was that he was the son of David. He clearly leaves his begging and he follows Jesus on the way. The way was the, the early Christians. It was those who followed Jesus. In church, ultimately, many would follow Jesus to their own deaths. Many would follow Jesus and be martyred for, for their own beliefs. This Peter guy that just can't get it, he ultimately will be crucified himself. But when they go to lay him out on the cross, he says, I don't deserve to die the way that my Savior died. Crucify me upside down. I want the posture of my King, of my Messiah, of the Anointed One to be held as sacred. This morning... I would ask and I would challenge. 
that if pride has entered into any area of your life, it is time to lay it down at the cross and seek forgiveness and take that brokenness that may be existed in your life and lay that at the cross and give it to Jesus. And if there's something where there's a sense of brokenness in relationship that you had taken, that you would lay that at the cross because we ultimately see, we ultimately know who Jesus is. He is the one who's making his way into Jerusalem. He is making that journey. And though that it was 2,000 plus years ago, he made that journey for you. And if we were alongside the road, the highway of brokenness, the highway of bad choices, if we would simply cry out to him, he would stop still where he was and he would summon for us to come so that he could reconcile us to him. And if we embrace him and engage him for who he is, then we will be a new creation and we will have a new beginning and we can be with him for all of eternity. Oh, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received the sight, and now I am happy all the day. This is the word of the Lord this morning. As the worship team comes, I would just ask, I'm just going to pray this morning that God would allow this to just be seasoned in our heart and that we would take and we would just think through this and process through this this week on our own in our own private studies and in our quiet times. Father God, we have heard this word. We have heard your word. We ask now, Lord, that you would use it in ways that we never could have dreamed of or have imagined. In your precious and gracious name, and our church family said,